Welcome back to another episode of Inside Inside Sales. Brought to you by our sponsor, Vanilla Soft, with your host, Daryl Prale. Join us each week as we interview industry experts in the dramatically growing field of inside sales and sales development. Tune in as Daryl brings you actionable strategies and tactics that can immediately increase your sales and success. So you ready? Let's get started. Hey, Daryl. And we are back for another episode of Inside, Inside Sales, the only podcast where we talk practical, pragmatic, tangible, actionable content that you can use immediately to improve your daily grind. That's what it's all about. How you doing, folks? My name's Daryl Prail. This is your first time listening. I am so pleased that you took time out of your schedule to join us today. Um, you know, I have an interesting conundrum here, folks. What do you do when you have a chance to sit down and have a conversation with a legend? You sit back and you say, well, I could, I could ask them about this or I could ask them about that but they have so much experience and they've seen so many people succeed and they've seen so many people not succeed that you start to say, why would I limit myself to just, just one item? That's the conundrum I have myself in today. Now the upside is you get to kind of walk this journey with me. Normally I have three, four or five things that I want to cover up. This one, I've never done this. I am like freestyling. I got nothing planned other than an open-ended conversation. And the whole purpose today is I wanna interview this individual and I want to extract nuggets on what they've seen, their own personal experience, their own anecdotes, their trials, their tribulations of their own journey. And so that you can learn from the, the wins they had, you can hopefully avoid some of the mistakes they made and you can feed and build off of kind of where we see things going. And that's the sum total of the gig today. So let's walk this journey together. I am so pleased to welcome to the show, the one, the only, the very talented, my good friend, Trish Bertuzzi. Trish, how are you doing today? I'm great. That was a very impressive introduction. I am honored. Thank you. I'll take, my mom always taught me to say thank you when people give me a compliment. So thank you very much. But it's true. And, and that's kind of what I want to talk about today. So there's a lot of people here who are in the sales game, they're doing the sales development thing. And for some of them, it's their first job. For others, they love it. And this is what they've been doing all their life and they see nothing else. But for the ones who are still kind of early in their career or are trying to figure out where do they go next, I just want to kind of pick your brain a little bit and say, let's start with some, some good stuff. Tell us a little bit about your sales background. You talk so much about what's good and what's bad and what works and what doesn't. Tell us a little bit about your sales background. If you've heard this story before, feel free to take a nap for like the next three minutes because I've told it a, a number of times. I'm going to tell it better. I was a waitress at Ken's Steakhouse. This was back in the day of the three martini lunch. And I used to wait on the CEO, the VP of sales, and the CFO for a tech company. They'd come in every day. They'd sit in my station. They'd have multiple martinis or whatever they were drinking, old fashions. They'd get a little buzzy boo-boo and off they'd go. And finally, one day the CEO said to me, you are rude, obnoxious, arrogant, and hungry, and you should be in sales. And I said, then give me a damn job. And he did. 
I started selling back then something that was called the computer installation data file. We literally sold data on paper. I mean, we're talking old school, right? And it was selling over the phone and I fell in love. I fell in love with it. I fell in love with talking to people, understanding their problems, helping them solve those problems. I fell in love with people who said no to me. No was like, oh my God, did you just say no to me? Oh, I'm going to turn that into a yes. I fell in love with process. I fell in love with everything about it. So it launched my career in sales. If you were a in any of the hospitality industries and you're in sales nowadays, you have all the skills you need to be successful. Time management, upsell, cross-sell. You're probably a little bit of an extrovert. You're trainable. You're a hard worker. There you go. That's what got you into it. And did you ever sit back and say, I never saw this coming? Or once you were there, you're like, oh, I'm home. Like This is where I belong. You know, there's two kinds of people in the world. There's planners and there's people who get up every day and live their life that day. That is the kind of person I am. Um, I get up every day and I go to work. I don't have a big strategy for what I'm hoping to accomplish that day. I might have an agenda and a calendar, but I ride the tide of being challenged and having interesting conversations with people. I've owned my own business for 21 years and I have never written a business plan, nor will I. Just not my style. Works for some people, doesn't work for me. Yeah, I think I would have to say I fell into it and I've enjoyed the journey, and I still am. So for those who are newly into it, and they're still feeling it out, what advice do you have for them? If you don't love it, don't do it. Seriously, if you go to work every day, and you are bummed out that you have to go to work every day, you might want to think about looking to do something else, because that's going to come across to your coworkers, to your management team, worse yet, to the people you're actually trying to sell something to, whether it's a meeting or a product. So you got to be in love with what you do. If you don't know if you're in love with it, but want to find out, self-development, right? Don't expect your management team or your company to make life simple for you. There's a few organizations that are that finely tuned that they're going to make a major investment in your self-development. There are great books. There are webinars. There are associations. There are peer-to-peer networking events in every major metropolitan area. Get out there and educate yourself on how you can be better at what you do and figure out if you love it sooner as opposed to later. So I just wrote a post on this. uh, I think it was last week. I told everybody that learning never ends and that you need to step up and spend your money on investing in yourself. If you're thinking, if you expect, that your employer should cover all your costs. And if they don't, you just not doing it because I'm worth it. Then I think you should bail. This is not the career for you. I heard you say something similar. This is clearly unscripted. How much should somebody be prepared to spend in themselves on a recurring basis? Or how much learning should they do? A book a week, a book a month, or how many events should they go to? Like, I know this is not formulaic. I know it's a little different for everybody. If you were to give advice to somebody right now and say, the minimum you should be doing is, what would that be? I think the minimum you should be doing is attending two peer-to-peer networking events a year. Everybody learns differently. I like to read books, so that's how I learn. Other people like videos or webinars or podcasts, right? So it depends on how your brain works and how you learn. 
But having said that, I think the peer-to-peer networking events, first of all, you expand your network, never a bad thing, right? Never a bad thing to expand your network. You meet people in similar situations that you can ask great questions from who might have handled situations differently from you. It gives you an ability to practice your skills introducing yourself to someone you don't know, honing your elevator pitch, asking discovery questions so you get to know them. So I think it's a twofer when you go to a networking event. When you went to your networking events and you read your books, how did you apply that knowledge? Did you have, like, for example, did you say, oh, here was a different way of opening up a phone call that I hadn't tried before? And do you say, I'm going to do an A, B test where for the next week I'm doing A and then I'm going to do a B and I'm going to compare the results. Like, like how did you actually apply the lessons and refine your own abilities? I wish I could say I was more formulaic than I was or am. So let me continue down that path was or continued to be not formulaic. I'm very much a gut seller. I tend to understand when there's a rhythm or a story or a pattern that people are reacting positively to and I expand upon it. And the same holds true if I'm telling them a story that it's just not resonating. It's interesting to me, but it's not interesting to my buyers. It's pretty quickly identifiable. So I would think for me, it's much more intuitive. Although having said that, There are now technologies out there that enable you to A-B test strategically, scientifically, with ease of use. And I think taking advantage of that would have been something that escalated my success. It probably still could. All right. So the workplace has changed since you and I began our careers. We had the advent of the millennial and the whole different working style. So let me ask you this, because you do see a lot of clients who seek you out for your expertise. Is the way I should expect to be managed now by my manager or management team or employer different than how I should have expected to be managed 20 years ago? I think it's more collaborative now. I think management teams are younger than they used to be and more diverse. So when I first got into sales, I had no female role models at my first couple of companies. So the people were a couple generations older than I was at that point in time. So I think now management is a lot more collaborative and there's much more emphasis on soft skills than there used to be. It used to be strictly about results. Now it's kind of still like everyone kind of gets a trophy all the time. I think that's the difference. Before I felt the need to perform because I wanted to rise above the noise. I wanted to be at the top of the list. I wanted to go to President's Club. Not everybody got to do all those things. I wanted that recognition. And I'm not sure that that's still, in fact, most companies' culture. So you wanted those accomplishments. You wanted that recognition. What did you do to achieve that, especially relative to your peers? I worked, I worked harder, longer, and smarter. That first job I was telling you about, it wasn't unusual for me to go in on the weekends, which I don't recommend, by the way, but it wasn't unusual for me to be there on weekends, just doing some of the things that needed to be done so that I could spend my time Monday through Friday actually trying to engage with buyers. Having said that, I despise anyone who talks about hashtag hustle porn. Like I... 
I, I hate the fact that we're telling people they have to work weekends and I hate the fact we're telling people they need to hustle, 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 grind, grind, grind. I hate all that. I did it. I don't recommend it. That was one of the questions I had for you, which is I see nonstop on social media, especially on Sundays. Are you planning your week? Oh, by the way, look at me. I'm here planning my week. Yeah, I'm posting on yeah. LinkedIn right now. I mean, should you be doing that? Should you be planning your week on the weekend? Um, yeah, well, not necessarily. I mean, I think Friday afternoons are a good time. Late Friday afternoons are a good time to plan your week. I do do a lot of social on Sundays. I have the bandwidth to do it then. I'm not interrupted. I have time to read what people are talking about and what they're interested in. But I'm not saying that anyone else needs to do that. Like Carlos, do you know who Carlos Hidalgo is? Yep. Okay. He's coming out with a new book called The Un-American Dream. Mm -hmm. I haven't read it yet, but I'm going to guess from everything that the synopsis I've seen and his posts, it's talking about how hustle porn is breaking the backs of our industry and how we need to get back to understanding that we are not defined by our job, that our job should make us happy and allow us to accomplish our dreams, but it shouldn't break us. All right. So that's kind of the first half of the podcast where we talk about the big picture and your story. When we come back, we're going to get a lot more specific with her and uh, ask her questions that hopefully you can apply and use immediately. So this is the best part. The second half of the podcast, guys, always the best part. So don't go anywhere. We shall be right back. CRM was designed for managing relationships. Sales engagement is designed for starting them. Current stats indicate that sales reps only contact new leads about 50% of the time and make less than two attempts to contact them. And they're only about 35% productive. CRM is the wrong tool to engage sales prospects. VanillaSoft is an engagement platform. It allows you to rapidly turn marketing qualified leads into sales qualified leads. According to user reviews, VanillaSoft will increase your pipeline and productivity by three times or more by ensuring each new sales lead is engaged within seconds persistently and with the cadence that's optimal for your prospects. Don't let your sales leads fall into a black hole. Take your lead engagement and sales qualification out of your CRM. Try VanillaSoft for free at VanillaSoft.com. All right, we are back with the wonderful and talented Trish Bertuzzi of The Bridge Group. Trish, if they want to check you out, what's the best place to find them? I'm assuming it's LinkedIn, but do you have a preference? So LinkedIn, definitely. I think that's where my voice can most often be heard. I do have a voice. I'm rather opinionated. I think LinkedIn's a pretty vibrant community. That and to learn more about sales development as a career, we have a ton of resources on our on our blog, on our resources page. We do a ton of research. It's all available for free at bridgegroupinc.com, the resources page. All right. So bridgegroupinc.com. Check it all out. Lots of good stuff there. All right. Now, one of the things you do, of course, you do uh, an ongoing recurring benchmark of all the best practices, which is interesting because that says you're not only are you getting all the survey responses and whatnot, but you're talking to all these sales leaders. Number one, what's the top one, two, or three mistakes you see SDRs making today? That if you could say, stop doing this or change how you do this, 
what would they be? Thinking that your sales engagement platform is a Gatling gun and just loading it up and <laughs> cranking out. Oh my God. I am begging you all, begging you all to not send emails that ask, why haven't you responded to my last email? You're shooting yourself in the foot and it's not your fault because they're telling you to do that, but just try to be more human in your interactions with your potential buyers. That's all people want to do is human to human. Stop with the stupid templates, personalize them and connect with the individual. Yeah. I mean, you don't have to. You don't have to go crazy, but try to be a little more human. And some of these things are really disingenuous. When you say, why haven't you responded? You know, we know what you're doing. Just like when you used to send an email and it started off with a subject line, R-E, as if we've already had a conversation going on. We know what you're doing, all right? So don't think it's helping your cause. Try to be human. That's a, a big mistake. Stop using it as a Gatling gun. I love that, which is just like spray as many emails as you can at once, hoping something lands. Other mistakes you're seeing happen over and over again. Voicemail is your friend. Look at voicemail as real estate. And the first 15 seconds of a voicemail is Rodeo Drive. Don't waste Rodeo saying your name and company name. Just get to something interesting. Just figure out one thing to arouse curiosity. Paint them a picture, right? So whatever it could be. Hi, Daryl. Sales floors have become silent and it's become the death of revenue. Would love to talk to you about that. We have three things that address it, whatever the case may be. Capture their attention. Something visual paints a picture. That was very descriptive. You are doing that. You're framing it. You're, you're giving me context. They become silent. And I immediately thought of my own sales floor. And I'm thinking to myself, is it silent, right? So you're, you're connecting with them on right. something that it's very personal. Now All you right. do have to leave your name. That's important. And phone number. That's important. Don't do it at the beginning. Don't waste Rodeo. All right. Rodeo Drive should not be wasted. Other than that, you're okay. So no Gatling gun. Voicemails are crucial in Rodeo Drive. The first, say, 15 seconds are the most expensive and the most, uh, the biggest ROI. A third. Is there a third mistake you're seeing happening on a regular basis? Yes. I saw this big thing on LinkedIn the other day about how leaving a voicemail doesn't get a call back. Well, no shit, Sherlock, right? Okay. It's not, it's not necessarily about that action to drive that result. When you look at your sequence, cadence, whatever you want to call it, for how you're going to go outbound or even follow up on inbound with people, it's a series of touches using many different channels. You're using social, you're using voicemail, you're using email, maybe you're using video, whatever you're using. You should thematically create a story you're looking to tell them. So I'm gonna talk to Daryl eight times. I'm gonna reach out eight times. Thematically, this is the hot button I'm gonna try to articulate in each of those eight touches. And so I'm gonna create little mini stories around each of those. And when I say story, it doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be like a chapter out of a book. How can I communicate to Daryl? Like the first thing I wanted him to picture was that his sales floor is silent. The second thing I want him to picture is that buyer engagement has changed and I have some research, can't say it, but I have it. <laughs> I wasn't going to go there. <laughs> to share on that. And then Just the have another drink, thing, whatever it is you're drinking, we're all good. Yeah. <laughs> then the third thing I want to share with them is whatever the case may be. So it's not, you're not hammering home the same ridiculous Sorry. You're not hammering home the same ridiculous statements time after time after time. You're telling a story. And something about that story is going to get them energized 
and engaged with you and get them to react, whether it's a callback, an email, sign up for an event, respond to content you sent them. It's not just about the callback. It's about arousing curiosity. It's about establishing empathy and credibility. There you go. Let's talk about empathy and credibility. That's something that not everybody is able to do. What mistakes are they making that is precluding them from establishing empathy and credibility with their buyer? And or how can they go about establishing credibility and empathy with their buyer? Okay, so if you're a sales development rep, I don't expect you to know how to do those two things out of the box, right? You need to be provided with the tools and the stories and the messages and the process that allow you to do that. You can't just sit down, you know, 60 days into your gig and go, oh my God, I'm selling to a CFO. I know everything there is to know about CFOs and I'm just gonna go talk to them. No, that is not how it goes. So you need your management team behind you. You need them to provide you with buyer personas, with the tools you can use to do pre-call planning and do research, with the information that you can use to actually have conversations like direct dial numbers, maybe mobile numbers, emails, you name it. You need your management team to back you up because it's not easy and you can't always go it alone. All right, so let's talk about that. I'm a sales development rep and I think I've got the right stuff and I think I'm gonna be a success, but I don't think like my management team is on the same page with me. They Perhaps they've not given me the right infrastructure or the right tools or the right data or they were lacking personas. How do I approach my management team and say, how can we work together to help me help you so we all succeed? So that's a phenomenal question, Daryl, actually. You can't just go, I want, I want, I need, I need, I need. Why aren't you on the phone? Why aren't you booking more appointments? Why aren't you doing this? Well, I don't have this and I don't have that and I need this and I need that. No. If you really want your management team to back you up, build a business case. Track little things like track how many buyers you tried to call where you had to go through the company switchboard and you didn't have a direct dial number. How many times emails bounced and your communication wasn't effective with them. Build a little business case. I'm not talking PowerPoint and spreadsheets and Gantt charts. Just build a business case and say, you know what? I feel like I could be 20% more productive if I had direct dial numbers and I've done a little bit of research and I think this particular company can provide us with those direct dial numbers. I understand it's an investment, but let's work out ROI. Using your example, I could be 20% more productive. So if I increased the pipeline contribution I'm already making by 20%, that's the start of an additional ROI. It's not just an, a spend. Your management might view that as a spend, when in fact, it's an investment if there's going to be a return on that investment, especially when you multiply it across the entire team. Okay, so now if there was only one thing, one piece of advice you could give me to make me a better sales rep right now, and I know this is a generalization, what would that one piece, and it's got to be actionable, what would it be? Well, there's a difference between if there's one piece of advice and then there's one piece of advice to, that's actionable. My one piece of advice for sales development reps is if you don't love it, don't do it. Honest to God. If you don't love it, don't do it. So the action there is quit, just so we're clear on that. Well, not quit, but you know, <laughs> you know, if you love the company, but you don't love the job, go look elsewhere in the company. People quit 
sometimes for all the wrong reasons. Oh, I love the company, but I hate my job. Well, find a different job in that company and maybe you'll love it. So there's that. And if you do love it, I really think you own the success of you. I mean, we kind of touched on that before, but if you're sitting there waiting for your company, your management team to make you more successful, it's going to be a long wait in many, many instances. You really do. You own the success of you. That's the best piece of advice I can give someone. On that front, if I am looking to jump ship because management isn't doing what I think they need to do or for whatever reason it might be, what's the one thing you highly recommend sales professionals do to better package themselves up for that next opportunity? Be prepared. Be prepared. If you want something, you need to prepare for it right? If you want to win a race, you got to train. If you want to lose weight, you got to diet, whatever, whatever it is that you want, you need to have a plan for how you're going to get it. And you need to execute that plan. And that includes, you don't want to jump from the frying pan into the fire, right? You've learned something at your last job, make sure you're not doing that and be prepared to ask the tough questions that are going to identify for you what the problems were you're walking away from so you don't go to them again. All right. With that, we're going to wrap things up. Check her out at linkedin.com slash in slash Trish Bertuzzi. You can find her there, of course. And of course, the website Bridge Group Inc. That's inc.com, where there are just a wealth of resources and the blog posts. Trish is blessed to have a wonderful collection of people who uh, support her and make that company the rock star that it is. Check her out if you don't now. Follow her. She, I dare say, is the most influential sales professional on LinkedIn and in this sales space. And we are pleased and delighted, Trish, that you spent time with us today. So with that, folks, we're done. We're out of here. Another episode is in the books. I had a blast. I hope you did too. We shall talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening once again to another episode of Inside, Inside Sales. Hosted by Daryl Prale, the CMO of VanillaSoft. Tune in every other week for actionable ideas to increase your sales productivity. One of the many shows on the ever-growing Funnel Radio Channel. Sponsored by VanillaSoft. Soft.